Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody and welcome to Forty Going On Fourteen. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel, and I'm Josh. And star date zero four dot sixteen dot twenty twenty. Despite filling the entire saucer section of the ship with toilet paper, we are all still confined to ten forward. <laughs> when are you going to separate the saucer? <laughs> Any time. I mean, this is a pretty bad crisis. That's when you do that, right? Yeah. Have we tried? Have we tried breaking off the saucer section? No. I love how canon in Star Trek is you only break off the the saucer section rarely in emergencies, and they do it like every other episode. Yeah, he comes up on the bridge. Where's the saucer section? I don't know. The coffee machine wasn't working. <laughs> Will took it out. He's getting his permit. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. It was a mere two hundred shows ago that we did a Star Trek show. What are we doing this again? This week, last couple weeks, the new Star Trek TV show, uh, Picard, just came out. I almost said Riker. <laughs> well, it just finished. Just finished, uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, we watched the new Picard show and watched some specific episodes of the original, uh, The Next Generation, that kind of coincided and gave some explanation of behavior in the new series. Yeah, this wouldn't be the first time that we've taken a general topic and kind of moved a little deeper in. I mean, our third show is like food. Yeah. (laughs) Well, way to narrow it down there, guys. And we had that one board games. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think we did video games as well. So, yeah. (laughs) Uh, in, In our defense, in our defense, it was retro video games that we love. That was show number two. Which still is pretty general, but at the same time, you know. I have no defense for the show that was just television programmed. No. (laughs) That we were just being lazy. We'll do this again when LaForge comes out. Ooh, LaForge. Geordie. I think that was called Reading Rainbow. What about... uh, What about uh, Captain Sulu? Oh, my. So, uh, yeah, if you like Captain Sulu, you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as I Am Soul Lake, Tales from the Hard Side, The Dog and Do Show, The Empty Rant Podcast, and, of course, The Red Dead Radio Hour. My how festive. Aqualung? Yeah, Aqualung. That's... You know, Pat, that used to be your thing. (laughs) I don't don't know what you're talking about. No memory of that at all. 
But yeah, so if uh looking for some of our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talk Shoe, Podverse, Noon FM, Pod Chaser, give us a call at 708 Noun 708-669-9727. If you want to talk and give us critique about whatever way we're going to offend you talking about Star Trek. And those darn Daleks. No, I'm everybody, trying. Everybody knows it's Ewoks. Yeah, and to clarify, no one's actually calling us to complain about the show. No, They're not no, calling no. us at all. Yep. Yeah, no one's calling to praise us either, which I find very troublesome. I need my praise. That's all I have, and I don't even have that anymore. Good job. Oh, I have that. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like praise. <laughs> <laughs> he does say hallelujah. That's true. Uh, okay. yeah. yeah, I think it's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. All right. <laughs> I was going to say, Joel, Joel will now very quietly tell us about some music facts that happened on July 13th, 1940, the week of Patrick Stewart's birthday. Eat a dick. What'd you say? <laughs> I said eat a dick. Is he impersonating somebody or is his mic going janky again? I'm not sure. I think he's trying to communicate through Morse code. I think I figured out the problem. His mouth is full of dick. Oh. <laughs> hey, he's back. Yeah, he got the dick out of his mouth. So it's your butt. <laughs> you mentioned dick and he shows up. <laughs> 37 of them. In a row? Assholes. Quickly, do do the music section before you go away again. So the number one song in the land was Tommy Dorsey's I'll Never Smile Again, which was number one for 12 weeks. It's a good song. I don't think I know it. No, it's Tommy Dorsey. He's like, I'll never smile again. Until there's a dick in my mouth. I don't think that's how it goes specifically, but... If the next slide is about dicks, I'm gonna. <laughs> God damn, it was about dicks. <laughs> All right, Ringo Starr, drummer for the Beatles and successful solo artist, was born July seventh in Dingle, Liverpool, England. I didn't think I needed to explain who Ringo Starr was. No. Yeah. Dingle, but he was born in Dingle. Makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Dingle. <laughs> hey, being the worst beetle is better than being 99.9% of the world. True. Unless you're Pete Best. Pete Best is cool with it, though. Dingle. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Helen Jeanette Donoth, born July 10th in Corpus Christi, Texas, is an American soprano with a career spanning 50 years. Donoth has made many opera and operetta recordings with various companies. Her finest moments on disc include her Eva and Wagner's Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg and Sophie and Strauss's Der Rosenkavalier. Very good. And she's still alive. I was, I was expecting Joel to stumble over Meistersinger. I, I took German for two years, although it was a little rusty. 
I took Spanish for four years, and I can't speak up. A- I was going to say, you took English a lot longer than that. Look at you. <laughs> You're one to talk. <laughs> Nailed you. Oh. Is the blind insulting the blind? Mm-hmm. Dingle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anthony Paul Jackson was an English singer and bass guitarist who was born July 16th. A member of the Searchers, they were known for the songs Sweets for My Sweet, Sugar and Spice, Needles and Pins, Don't Throw Your Love Away, and Love Potion Number 9. I pretty much know all of those. Yeah. Yep. Sugar and Spice, that's a good one. That was on the uh, Good Morning Vietnam soundtrack. Yeah, Sugar and Spice, yeah. Yeah. And finally, on July 16th, Billboard magazine published its first music popularity chart. (gasps) They were getting ready for us. (laughs) Someday some podcast will need this. Yeah. What's a podcast? <laughs> was the Billboard Hot 2. <laughs> <laughs> Topping the charts was I'll Never Smile Again. <laughs> and Ringo Starr's birth. <laughs> there was no number two song. That was the only <laughs> song on the charts. At that point, that's somebody that's somebody Billboard was like, you think we should write these down? Yeah, it'd be a good <laughs> idea. I don't like this song. It's got too many penises in it. <laughs> All right, moving on to movies. Oh. Dingle. The number one movie in the land was Let George Do It, a comedy about private investigator George Valentine. <laughs> what? Yeah. They only yeah. had one song on the charts. What do you expect at the theater? <laughs> let George do it. All oh, right. This is. I typed in Let George Do It in IMDb, and the first thing I get is To Hell with Hitler, and then Let George Do It. Who? Jeez, this looks. Let George do it. Starring George Wallace. <laughs> Not that George Wallace. <laughs> don't don't let him do anything. <laughs> don't let him do it. <laughs> Whatever you do. On July seventeenth, Bugs Bunny made his official debut in the animated cartoon and acronym of the week AWH, which I'm pretty sure was Afternoon with Hitler. <laughs> Nineteen forty, you'd think they'd know better, but uh, yeah. I mean, Bugs Bunny, you know, he, he didn't exactly toe the political rec- political correctness line back then. So. Yeah, but nah. no, that, what's that up, my fairer? Was... <laughs> <laughs> Man, they no, just made a, a new wild, list. A wild hair. I'm sorry, a wild hair. Uh, yeah. You know what I really appreciate is if you get any of the old Bugs Bunny and Warner Brothers cartoons, the shorts and all that on DVD, there's a disclaimer. Yeah, and there's the a lot of racism. Of oh, yeah. They're like, we're not changing. The, the Warner Brothers like, we're hey, this is what we made back then. To ignore it is to, I mean, to, to change it is to ignore it. This is what it was. Figure it out for yourself. Especially when they go, like, what was the one where they had the, the gremlin and the bomber? Yeah, the Japanese guy with the giant <laughs> buck teeth. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Not culturally sensitive. No. All right. Uh, James Brolin, born Craig Kenneth Bruderlin on July 18th, is an American actor, producer, and director. He is the father of actor Josh Brolin and husband of Barbara Streisand. Brolin has won two Golden Globes and an Emmy for starring in roles such as Fantastic Voyage, Westworld, The Amityville Horror, Traffic, and Master of Disguise, among others. I had to finish it with Master of Disguise. Turtle. <laughs> I got turtle enough for the turtle club. <laughs> turtle, turtle. 
that's one of those movies where I can be grateful and say I've never seen it. <laughs> I took my then six year old niece to go see it in the theater. And it's it was, entertaining. It was, yeah, right. exactly. It's stupid. What it fun. is? Yeah. It, just, it it did not deserve to win any awards, but it wasn't no. a total waste of my time. So. Nah. All right. So TV, the top shows in the land are unknown as they did not write those things down. Shortly after, they were like, "Hey, see what Billboard's doing." <laughs> Radio was way more popular still in in this at this time. Yeah, sure. Write down what the popular TV shows are. Why everyone's still on radio, man? That's just a fad. That's gonna be gone in a heartbeat. Everyone's all about the speakers. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a fad, like penicillin, <laughs> the internet, and Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, Hitler kind of was a fad. <laughs> oh, all right. So on July nineteenth, Peter Carl Goldberg. There's your tag CBS. for the show. Hitler was a fad. Maybe not. they're going to they're going to make new lists just for us. There's far too much Hitler in this tweet, and I'm part of it. <laughs> On July 19th, Peter Carl Goldmark of CBS announced his invention of a color television system. Eh? He went on he went on TV to show everybody. Check it out. It's in color. All right, Carl. There you go, why Peter. You, why, sure. are this, why are you making this in color? It's just a fad. Nobody wants it in color. They want it in pure black and white. Easy there, Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Julian Brooke, Taylor OBE. What? Officer of the British Empire. Yeah, um, I just, the the names. Timothy Julian Brooke Taylor, OBE, was born July 17th. He was an English comedian and actor who became president of the Footlights, becoming more widely known to the public for his work in BBC Radio with I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again. He moved into television with, at last, the 1948 show. (laughs) These are great titles. Right? (laughs) These are great Hey, that 1948 show's on. At last. <laughs> Working together with old Cambridge friends, John Cleese and Graham Chapman. Uh, he was best known as a member of the Goodies, starring in the television series throughout the 1970s and picking up international recognition in Australia, Canada, and New Zealand. He also appeared as an actor in various sitcoms and was a panelist on I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue for almost 50 years. <laughs> He really didn't have a clue. <laughs> these names of these shows, I want to name British TV show. What are we going to call it? Man Down the Street Drinking Coffee. The names of everything back in the 40s, 30s and 40s, uh, just they're always so good. Let George do it. His Man Godfrey. What's my line? No, that's, I like what's my line. Let Hitler do it. <laughs> <laughs> We got to stay away from the 40s from here on out, I think. (laughs) This is not working well. Bingo. All right. And lastly, in sports, the National League blanked the American League 4-0 in the 8th Major League Baseball All-Star Game at Sportsman's Park in St. Louis, held on July 19th. Leonard Eugene Alley, born July 10th, is a former MLB player. He played his entire career as a modest hitter, but an exceptionally steady shortstop for the Pittsburgh Pirates from 1963 to 1973. A two-time All-Star, Alley was a member of the Pirates teams that won three consecutive National League Eastern Division titles between 1970 and 1972 and won the World Series in 1971. And lastly, 
Born July 18th, Joseph Paul Torrey is an American professional baseball executive currently serving as a special assistant to the commissioner. He previously served as the MLB chief baseball officer from 2011 to 2020. A former player, manager, and television color commentator, Torrey ranks fifth all-time in MLB history with 2,326 wins as a manager. With 2,342 hits during his playing career, Torrey is the only major leaguer to achieve both 2,000 hits as a player and 2,000 wins as a manager. From 1996 to 2007, he was the manager of the New York Yankees and guided the team to four World Series championships. Woof. Yeah. Quite a career. Joe Torrey is a legend in baseball. Let Joe do it. (laughs) It's Hitler's brother, Joe Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) That's Stalin, Pat. Stalin. (laughs) No, I'm not Stalin. I was just going at a normal speed. Dingle. If I could roofie your drinks from here, I would. (laughs) Wouldn't be the first time. That's going to be it for the Twee. Play us off, keyboard Joel. Da-na-na-na-na-na. Aqua dung. I don't know where to take any of that. Aqua duck. To the bench, obviously. Take it to the park bench. Yeah, let's charge to it. All right, so now we're going to talk a little bit about the next generation. Uh, Star Trek episode 1987-1994. This is created by Gene Roddenberry. It was set 100 years after Captain Kirk's five-year mission. A new generation of Starfleet sets out on the USS Enterprise-D to go where no one has gone before. Uh, this was a big thing. Um, I remember watching uh, Encounter at Farpoint when it released and being really excited about it. I mean, it was a, you know, a family sit-down around the television type of thing for us. Starring uh, Patrick Stewart as Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Jonathan Frakes as Commander William Riker, Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy, Brent Spiner as Commander Data, and Jonathan Delarco as Hugh for three episodes out of the rest of the crew's 176. Yeah, this is a truncated list because these are going to be the actors that we're going to be talking about again in the second half. Right. Some trivia on this one. Most everyone in the cast became lifelong friends. For example, LeVar Burton's wedding in 92, Brent Spiner was his best man, and Sir Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, and Michael Dorn were all ushers. I just saw not so long ago a uh, Zoom call with uh, pretty much the entire cast where they're all like lending each other support. That's cool. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Will Wheaton posted it somewhere. That's neat. Also, the ceiling of the transporter chamber on the Enterprise D is, in fact, the floor of the transporter chamber from the Enterprise and Star Trek original series. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the decision to end the series after seven seasons came as something of a surprise to the cast members who were signed for eight seasons. Huh. Yeah. Though all of the live action sequences were shot on 35 millimeter film, the visual effects sequences were shot on video to reduce production costs. This later posed an enormous obstacle when Paramount Pictures decided to release the show on Blu-ray as the quality of the picture of the original master tapes was not a high enough resolution to undergo transition into Blu-ray format. In order to confront this problem, Paramount Pictures had to recover all the original live-action and visual effects footage, use digital techniques to restore and upgrade the picture quality. And essentially, this meant that every episode had to be re-edited from scratch. I thought that was pretty crazy. That is nuts. That's <laughs> in, or- though. in order to confront this problem, Paramount Pictures called all the actors and had them do the show again. <laughs> 
Can you guys just come in for a few years and just do you remember their words? And be younger. Be young. Yeah. Well, just Patrick Stewart or Sir Patrick Stewart was so convinced that the show was going to fail for the six first six weeks of shooting. He refused to unpack any of his suitcases. <laughs> well, Gene Roddenberry was actually against his casting. He didn't want him. No, nope. didn't want really. Yeah. He wanted somebody younger and more, more hair manly. Yeah. He wanted to, he was imagined Picard was a young, virile, sexy guy. So he was thinking about Riker then. Yeah, kind of. Or, you know, even uh, Captain Kirk or even Pike, you know, back. Yeah, I was going to say, we we know about uh, Roddenberry's first uh, thoughts when it comes to the captain. So, yeah, go with your second choice, Gene. (laughs) Not that Pike was awful, but like, wasn't Kirk. Hmm. But yeah, so the reason the cast summary is so short, and as Josh had said, is these are all characters that are going to show up in the new show uh, Picard later on. And we watched a series of episodes that kind of lead into... Okay, first off, I'm calling spoilers right now. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen Picard, even talking about which uh, episodes of Next Gen we focused on, yeah, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not even going to say, you know, fast forward, you know, go to the skip the ending of when we talk about the now, because we're going to we're going to ruin the ruin the now. <laughs> all uh, all yeah. over. Yeah, I guess let's get into it, because uh, I don't know about for you guys, but they say everybody who gets into Star Trek has their Trek. And usually it's the one you started watching with. For me, Next Gen was my Trek. See, and I started with the original series, but. Um, as soon as the new one started, I was like, Mike, I, the, the first time the first episode aired, I was right there and I was hooked. So I don't know. It's hard to say which one I'd say is mine, but I think probably Next Gen was a, is a bit closer to my heart. I watched the old one. I had the action figures. I, the original series is my Trek. You know, I, I had that cool toy where you put the action figure in there you push the button and it swoops around does the transporter thing and it comes out on the other side of the play set and it looks like the planet you know what i'm talking about any of you guys no i i remember the figures did you hang that in the tree next to the turkey carcass when you were done no, with it? it was a thing you dick face <laughs> <laughs> See, i believe you but like I, I star trek was only vaguely on my radar until about mm. season three of next gen okay and I, I had some action figures from it, but it was from the one of the movies. Yeah, the, I had I had a Star Trek leisure suit. <laughs> it was white. Of course you did. Yeah. Don't lie. Was, you, don't uh, lie. You don't. You didn't have it. You. you still I still. I still do have it. I. It is. Yeah, it that's is. What I'm saying. Yeah. It's. It's. I mean, granted, if I was, you know, a little kid, I, it'd still fit me. It was. It had a little little flared collar but it was white and had blueprints of the enterprise all over it and the shirt itself fell apart but underneath it for the shirt it was the yellow shirt with the gold uh the gold collar and the the insignia on the front pat would you say you have a trek that is your trek yes and no i mean it's definitely like it's between the the original and, and the next generation for sure i've tried to watch some of the other iterations and didn't really care for them didn't get too far into them if Next Generation had Spock in it, like on a regular basis, then it would easily beat out the first one because Spock's probably my favorite character. But if I had forced to pick, I would go with the Next Generation. 
I'm pretty sure I've even said this on the show before, but what got me in, I didn't even know I was watching Star Trek for like 10 minutes. I was like five, right? No, I was watching, I I was flipping around and it was uh, a rerun of The Big Goodbye, which was the first Dixon Hill episode. So I stopped. I thought I was watching this cool detective show. And then all of a sudden they're like, end program. I was like, what? what?" (laughs) Suddenly suddenly there's lasers and aliens. You're like, what? You got your Star Trek in my noir. So yeah, I watched the rest of the episode. And I was so enthralled by that first holodeck episode that like from that moment, I started checking out Star Trek Next Gen anytime it was on. Hmm. Just waiting for the next Dixon Hill episode. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But uh, some of the episodes that we watched, Joel found an article from Space.com, which I think is kind of funny, of uh, episodes that you need to watch to get in line and figure out what's going on in Picard. Because these shows all are almost like a personality blueprint of Picard's thoughts. Well, and some of them even tie like like Measure of a Man, which... You know, you didn't list the actor for Bruce that played Bruce Maddox in that episode. Well, and it's probably for the best anyway, because they recast him for Picard. But, you know, he's a guy that was a pretty heavy part of the new series. So, yeah, these episodes, some of them tie directly into it. It's direct timeline, you know. Hmm. And I mean, even aside from Star Trek, like some of the specific characters that were directly in Next Gen, if you just look at the cast of Aliens and whatnot, this was definitely a through line. Like, even if you didn't have Picard, this would have been a, a direct sequel to Next Gen because you've got not a whole bunch of Klingons running around swinging botliths. You've got the Borg. You've got Romulans. Even though they were there in the first series, they were the Next Gen portrayal. So the episodes we focused on were the ones that kind of laid the groundwork that they returned to that well to make Picard. Mm-hmm. So first one, like Joel just mentioned, Measure of a Man premise on this one is commander data is going to be sent to commander bruce maddox for reassignment disassembly and study and kept picard has to prove that data is not property and is actually a sentient life form life form with rights and freedoms under federation law it's a heavy episode to start off with Uh, yeah it's, it's pretty brilliantly written and it just to me sums up kind of what roddenberry wanted from the show because there's so many things that are there's so much subtext there with other issues and you know real life that they're using data and and the whole argument uh it's yeah it's pretty brilliant well and roddenberry loves his courtroom episodes like even the first encounter at far point had courtroom scenes with q Hmm. so yeah that that's a very next gen thing it's a very strange courtroom scene yeah but still that's the one where he had the big hat, right? Yeah, he had a big hat, and there was a, a dwarf ringing a bell and a Genghis Khan impersonator. Yeah. And a bunch of filthy hobo bums. So basically like going to Cook County courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this one, like like the guy said, a lot of focus on the existence of humanity and something that's created by man. One of the, like, the twists that I liked about it was when the JAG officer made Riker be the prosecutor. Even though Riker was 100% behind data on it, she f- forced him to be the prosecutor because of his stature, of, of his rank in the in the ship. And a typical style, he didn't phone it in. 
Nope. No. I was I was concerned about it. You know, like if he's going to try and pull some sort of thing on it, and because I uh, these couple of these I've never seen, couple of these episodes I have not seen before. So, next one up was Data Lore. Uh, this one, uh, season one, episode or episode thirteen, the Enterprise visits Omicron Theta, where Data was discovered by the USS Tripoli years and years ago. They get a distress call from the colony out there, following its destruction of by a crystalline entity. Once there, they find. Data's brother, Lore, disassembled and sitting in the closet. <laughs> With R. Kelly. <laughs> Jeez. Now he had his little storage area, you know? And what was interesting about this one is that I kind of wish this one would have been the first one on the list because the arguments that are made in this episode are then repeated in The Measure of a Man. Mm-hmm. These are the same arguments about, you know, sentience and, and you know, man-created android and android man was created by woman and it's yeah it's a whole thing but yeah it, lore is an interesting character and got his just desserts yeah and the, I, the origin of the shut up wesley meme yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> shut up wesley shut up wesley and <laughs> the best part about that was he was the only one that was smart enough to even see the obvious like it was so incredibly obvious that this is this is not data <laughs> and everybody, everybody's just blind to it. I mean, he's doing all kinds of non-data stuff, and they're all like, well, that's weird. It <laughs> couldn't possibly be that he's his twin brother right now. Let's just brush it away like nothing's happening. Yeah, nothing's going on. But he's using conjecture. He's not even speak. Shut up. <laughs> it would make sense if they didn't know that Lore was there, and they're just like, wow, Data's acting weird. But like, if suddenly the character or the person that you've known forever that never strays because he's an android suddenly starts acting weird, <laughs> maybe tie it into the fact that his twin is there. I don't <laughs> know. See, see Data walk out, Data Lore walk out there, be like, like Data, and just like, hey, kiss my ass. Wait, wow, Data's acting kind of weird yeah. today. Do <laughs> you could see his frustration? Couldn't possibly be his evil twin masquerading as him. Not at all. No, no. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> but uh but yeah and as as we've just alluded to Laura does take over data's spot the crystalline entity crystalline who, entity that who needed a name they should have called him like bob or something bob the crystalline entity yeah my qu- my I'm question cr- is just crystal crystal mm. the crystal ah. oh. see my it's question is not a stripper <laughs> <laughs> well then name it gale crystal shale uh, it'll be the crystal gale Huh? Huh? Anyway, uh, saying, Mike, you had a point. I I did. I oh, <laughs> yeah. Why did they chase after the crystal at the end? Show it who's boss. This crystal. They know this crystalline entity like is ultra powerful. Ultra powerful, and they destroyed everybody on this planet. Like, oh look, there it goes. We better Bye, give crystal. chase. Bye, crystal. But but no. Uh, again, in uh, leading up to Picard more conversation about what is man you know what is creation what is a, what is a human what is the and you know all that from the first one but we also find out a little bit more about noonan song that's right noonan sung sung noonan sung who is the creator of data uh the doctor who put him together he becomes a thing later on in picard also and becomes kind kind of legendary this you don't really see, you don't really see him until much later in right. the series and then 
for reasons that you will find out when you watch the uh, the Picard show, The Offspring is the next one that we watched. This was season three, episode 16. Data builds an android. Names it Lal and uh, calls it his daughter. That's a sad episode. Should have named her Vicky. <laughs> She's not a small wonder, Pat. That's what she looked like. She kind of did with that hair. Mm-hmm. But bring love and laughter. You can't give your robot a page boy haircut and not get Vicky comparisons. She gave it to herself. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> the only issue I had with this one is I feel that Picard's initial reaction to Lal completely contrasted everything from Measure of Man. Well, he was also about all hating kids in Farpoint, too, or whatever. No, not even hating kids, but in the very beginning of this one, when and Data's like, hey, here's my daughter. I just made her. And he's like, you can't be just creating things. You know, it's, this is, this is, you know, he, he started going off and I was thinking to myself, this is not, I could have seen another character on the ship going off like that, but not, not Picard. Right. It was very uncharacteristic, especially if we had watched, when you watch Measure of Man, just, you know, like two hours earlier. Well, he's definitely not one who, you know, pounces on taking away people's rights. So, yeah, I see your point. And you needed to have the moments with Guinan to show him wisdom. So. Yep. And the, what was, I forgot the name of the actor that played the, uh, Anne Margaret. Yeah, it was Anne Margaret. And that played who? The commander that was coming to take Lal away. I felt his character arc on there going from we're taking your daughter away for you for the for both of your own good to helping him try and save her life at the end. You felt what? No, I felt uh, Nicholas Coster. That's his name. Well, yeah, I don't think most people are like, we think Lal should die. People are just like, there's there's possibly an issue with just letting synthetic beings just make more whenever they want. That's how we get Terminators. Do you want Terminators? That's, <laughs> That's how, how you get, get the Terminators. <laughs> no, I just, I just liked, I mean, not so much. I liked his, his arc from we're taking it away for the, for your good to, I get it. We're going to try and save her life. And then having sympathy for data as his daughter was dying in front of him. I'm just, I'm just glad that that character didn't wind up, storming off the ship and them having to deal with it on their own or anything that there yeah, was being, actual... being a one-dimensional just exactly enemy he, here yeah he was the foil for data for this entire thing but no he actually had a, a turnaround at the end of it yeah it wouldn't have been as as much star trek you know roddenberry-esque if if that had happened i also like the part where lal kissed Riker. yeah <laughs> that was funny what are your intentions with my daughter <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one up, one of the best two-parters in here, The Best of Both Worlds, also known as the one where Picard gets borged out. Seize parts one and two are season three, episode 26, and season four, episode one. So this was the cliffhanger for the season. Borg begins their invasion of Federation space, and they also capture and then assimilate Picard, and he becomes part of the collective and is given the name Locutus. Which is Latin for he who speaks. Which is what they said. Boy, did the did the Trekkies go crazy at that season ending episode when he showed Picard as a Borg. Yep. But 
what an what a great villain. Not not Locutus, but just the Borg as a whole. Just yeah. what a great villain. Yep. And and that that was I think why everybody kind of lost their shit because here's <laughs> their their hero captain and all of a sudden he's a bad guy. Yeah, and this is like one of the most it is probably the most significant character development moment for Picard throughout the series and they're constantly returning later to like the psychological effects it had on him and the changes it made in his personality. Mm-hmm. And you even see that in Picard and just thinking about going back to the cube. Yeah, he he never really gets better from his time as Locutus. Right. Well, I mean, would you? <laughs> that that's a pretty pretty traumatic yeah, I will say he looks a hell of a lot better than the other used to be Borgs. Oh yeah, yeah. there's some rough F- ones. FBs. Yeah. Uh, next one up is Family Season Four, Episode Two. This follows, I think, one step past uh, Best of Both Worlds. Picard takes some leave, which, like, just at that at the end of that one, it's like, you know, I think I'm going to take a little time off. I think I'm going to go somewhere where no ships, where there's ground. I'm just going to relax a little bit. But I'm going to hang out with my asshole brother. Yes. Uh, that's where actually we find the Picard Vineyard in La Barre, France, the French Swiss border. It's right after that. We see him uh, interacting with his with his actual family, Robert, played by Jeremy Kemp, his wife, Marie, Samantha Egar, and their nephew, Rene. Oh. And boy, they do not get along. New. No. Well, again, would you... <laughs> What if you're French? No, his brother was very unpleasant. Yeah, no, he was. He was kind of an a hole. Well, I mean, why can't you be like your? Why can't you be like your brother? Because your brother's actually French. You're clearly British. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I didn't even catch that, but you're right. Oh my uh, he's god! He's been in space so long, he lost the accent. You know, <laughs> and again, everybody, everybody knows the space space accent is is British. If Doctor Who has shown us anything, that's true. And Gage. I'm sorry, Dingle. I mean, this is a super important one, if nothing else, to get a look at what Picard's family life would have been had he never gone to space. And then eventually it'll bring us back to episode one of Picard. Yeah, for sure. Like, you can definitely see why this one was on the list. Yeah, you look at the image that's in the the article, and it's like, wait, is that from Picard, or is that from Next Gen? Mm -hmm. Because it looks the same. Just grainier. <laughs> the world was only made on 35 millimeter film back then. <laughs> so now, if, one... if they had only just invented color, we went over that in the tweet. That's true. That's true. Let George do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on to Unifications Part 1 and 2. This one I think Patrick probably paid attention to because it has his favorite Vulcan in it. Season 5, Episode 7 and 8. Ambassador Spock embarks on an unauthorized journey to Romulus. Fearing he's de- defected, they send Picard to go get him. On Romulus, Picard and Data meet with Spock, who claims to be trying to reunite the Romulans and the Vulcans. Meanwhile, however, powers within the Romulan government attempt to pervert Spock's mission and portray it as an invasion by the Federation. We'd already had incidents of the Romulans' whole, like, double, triple blind chess games, and everyone had always suspected that they were somehow related to Vulcans. This just, like, gave a clearer focus for what Romulans are supposed to be in how they're related to the Vulcans. So pretty important episode. 
Yeah, this plays out directly into just about every episode of the, of Picard and the whole situation with the supernova transport and Mars and it's all Romulans. It's like Romulans all over once you get to Picard. Uh, next episode that we watched, season five, episode 23, I Borg. Uh, we had one guy on the list that was not on this episode, not on the show for... 176, but only three. Jonathan Delarco played Hugh the Borg. And uh, Hugh is, they find a crashed Borg shuttlecraft and a lone survivor. They take him up into the ship, and he winds up getting separated from the Borg Collective and discovers his individual identity and picks the name Hugh for himself. Picard is then ordered to plant a virus that'll spread through the mind and wipe out Federation's most lethal enemy. Instead, however, he repairs Hugh and returns him to the crash site where he's recovered by the Borg. This is an interesting episode because you would think that Picard would be a hundred percent. These are, these guys are terrible. We need to get rid of them. But instead he's not a racist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He, he decides that uh, you got, this is a classic moral dilemma where he's like, these are a hated enemy. They're very dangerous. And I can make this decision to take these guys that hurt me, that fucked me up and wipe them out. But to do that, I have to take this sentient being that is realizing himself as an individual and turn him into a weapon. Love it. The perfect moral quandary Star Trek episode. Especially considering, like Mike said, he's got every reason to hate them. Yeah. Well, and it ties into a lot of themes of Picard as well as Hugh himself, but we'll get to that. And this is why the character of Picard is better than most of us. Because I'd have lit that shit on fire. Patrick Stewart's better than most of us. That's true. Oh, that, better than yeah. Me. I'd have been blowing up some Borg. All right, <laughs> moving, <laughs> moving on to Descent parts one and two. This is season seven, episode twenty six and one. There is a ship. They are on. There are Borg on the ship, and they're acting strangely. They're giving themselves names. They're showing despair when their comrades are shot down and just acting very, very unborg-like. Data gets captured by them, taken away, follow them to find out that it is the return of Lore who is controlling all these Borgs now, who is their leader now. They tried to... They tried... I just lost the word. They... What did Borg do? Assimilate them. Thank you. They try to assimilate Lore. Lore, I mean, and Lore has his sense of individuality that sort of F's up everybody, uh, all the Borg, and kind of messes up the Borg until he steps back in and takes over. So you have, who is actually a pretty good villain for Star Trek is Lore handling the other great villain of Star Trek. Yeah, I like these. They get to the idea that individuality and expressing it itself is sort of like a virus that messes with what the collective can do. And when you are just starting to be an individual and you don't really know what to do with it, a charismatic evil person can pervert that individuality. And they really explore that in these two episodes. Mm -hmm. Once again, cliffhanger and uh, start of the next season. Yep. This is the first time I'd seen the one I had. I was initially concerned about how they were going to play lore. And while they play lore, super charismatic, they didn't go overboard with them. You know, I was I was really hoping that they they and they didn't do it was having the, you know, rubbing his hands together, evil brother, evil twin going on. 
Which they almost crossed that line in the first appearance of Lure. Mm-hmm. And they brought it back, which again gives a little bit more insight on the relationship between the Borg and Picard. Moving on to All Good Things, part one and two, season one and two, season seven, episode 25. So yeah, this is the series finale. Yep. And it goes full circle with John Delancey showing up as Q. And since Picard traveling to different time periods, past, present, and future to solve a chicken and egg style riddle about the destruction of all life in the galaxy. I hate to admit it, but I've never seen this episode and I didn't get a chance to see it. before. Oh, I watched it live. Uh, I, I love this one. And uh, it is the, they do pull a few things from this. This article was written before Picard actually dropped. And the biggest thing that they pull from this is the brain uh, abnormality, the aromatic syndrome. That uh, is in the future parts of this, because, yeah, by the end of it, you've got this crazy time paradox where there are three versions of the Enterprise. Uh, OK, same like anomaly space. It's a great episode. Like if you just want to see how Trek ends and uh, you're not counting the movies. Yeah, this this is a good one to spend a couple of hours on. I'm sure I'm going to end up seeing it because I've been slowly working my way through the the next generation on Netflix over like a year. I watch an episode a week or so. Mm. Yeah. Pretty much the rest of the article is all Voyager stuff and movies that gets a little deeper into the Borg. Yeah. The rest is all Borg. So this is actually where I stopped on the list. I stopped with all the TNG stuff, but all in all, I think these episodes really give you a good insight to one Picard's personality when, even when facing his enemy, you know, how he'll react in a situation where he's facing his mortal enemy. And then explanation for the political scene when you start getting into the Romulan situation in uh, Picard. Now, you get to the end of the article, and there's something that I didn't see. There was a, a series called Short Treks that actually uh, shows the attack on Mars. Uh, okay. That directly sets up Picard. And I thought that was really interesting. I kind of wish I'd made time to watch it. Which, incidentally, they are all available on CBS All Access, the short treks. There's a bunch of them. Oh, cool. So if you want to get caught up at some point, there you go. Nice. So do we have any more general thoughts about Next Gen? I mean, I, I love Next Gen. Uh, like I said, it's my track. And uh, I do love the parts of Next Gen that they uh, pulled for Picard. They, they may have left the holodeck out, but I can I can forgive that. Hmm. There was holodeck in the first episode. I mean, there was holodeck technology, but it wasn't really a holodeck. It wasn't a holodeck episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there was no Dixon Hill. Josh was hoping for a little Dixon Hill somewhere. Just for fun. Doctor Who is is my fandom. You know, that's my, my passion. But, you know, as far as TV goes, this is uh, a fairly close second. I grew up watching Trek and... I was happy that we we did this show because I was looking for a reason to watch Picard and the pandemic was the first key to get us the all access for free. Yeah. Not a, not a fair trade, but yeah, I'd rather pay the two bucks a month. Thanks. Exactly. But making the best out of bad situation, it it was a, it was a welcome, welcome show to do. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to take a little break and we come back. We're going to go over Picard the show that we just that just finished up uh, and again say it spoilers there's going to be a lot of conversation about why happened what happened and who did it 
And if you have not seen the show and have not spoiled it for you yet, stop listening. What are you doing? Seriously? It's a good show. Yeah, you should just go watch Picard. Go watch it. You're, you won't. You will not be disappointed. We'll be here when you get back. Yeah. You might be disappointed. This was divisive for some people. You but will we'll, be disappointed. Yeah, spoilers. I, I, <laughs> I mean, even being disappointed is a spoiler. You're a spoiler. <laughs> Dingle. Twenty twenty, dart eight, something or other. Picard is released. We watched it, and then we're going to talk about it. Spoilers be here. So, twenty eighteen, Alex Kurtzman signed a five year deal with CBS to expand Star Trek beyond the Discovery TV show to new series, miniseries, and an animated series. Which oh yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to. Uh, they talked about bopping around Patrick Stewart and some new ones, that sort of thing. And CBS first approached him about making more Star Trek series. He, uh, he believed that Picard was the greatest Star Trek captain ever, and one included a series featuring him on his wish list, despite Patrick Stewart having said that he did not want to return to the franchise. Uh, he also had a couple other ideas than the, in the short treks they talked about that Joel, Joel mentioned at the end of the last uh, section, uh, including a story that would reprise Nichelle Nichols as Uhura again. But uh, this one, this ep- this uh, show, begins 20 years after the last appearance of Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek Nemesis. It's actually a really good Trek film. It is. Uh, yeah, finds character affected by the death of Data and also in the destruction of the planet Romulus from the start film Star Trek from 2009. So it pulls on some, you know, good history. It's not just this. It, it is a standalone show. It could be. If you've never seen any of this stuff before, you can watch it and figure it out. But if you have seen it, everything makes it. It's just so much better. Yeah, if you have that history. It's also one of the few things that stands astride the two timelines, the classic and the Kelvin. Because, like, it makes explicit reference to the event that causes the Kelvin timeline split. So that's fun. Hmm. And there's enough exposition in it that even if you don't know who the characters are or you don't get the, oh, hey, I remember that guy. You don't need to. Right. Yeah, it's not it's and it's it's not something you need to do a deep dive on and be a super Star Trek fan to enjoy. Uh, I remember Riker. He was the pizza chef. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that Riker, he made some great pizza and he played the saxophone, too. Um, So. Got Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard. Well, you know who he is. We'll get into his his arc. He's an international and, treasure is what he is. Yes, he is. An inter- intergalactical treasure. Uh, also, Allison Pill as Agnes Gerardi, a uh, doctor on synthetic life who joins Picard's mission. Isa Broins as Dodge and Soge. Am I, saying, I forgot. I'm saying this right? Soji. Dodge and Soji. Twin androids with organic bodies created as the daughters of Data. Uh, She also portrays Sutra, uh, another android model that you find uh, discover later on in the season. Even Ivagora as Elnor, a Romulan refugee who Picard abandoned as a boy and was raised by the Quat Malat. Quat? Badasses. Yeah, all female warrior nuns. (laughs) That's a lot to unpack there, but anyway. Yeah. 
Uh, Michelle Hurd as Rafaela, Rafi Muscar, Picard's former Starfleet first officer who is struggling with substance abuse. All sorts of it, too. I mean, she's got the yeah. pipe and the bottle and the she was. She had some uh, issues. She was free base and tribbles. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, you get drummed out of Star Trek for uh, uh, Starfleet for uh, uh, saying that the Romulans are behind everything. And then it turns out the Romulans are behind but, everything. Mm-hmm. Santiago Cabrera as Crystal Chris Rios, former Starfleet officer and the pilot of La Sirena. He also portrays a five to five or six different holograms aboard La Sirena. Yeah. And Harry Treadway, a Romulan agent called Nerek, who is sent to seduce and spy on Sojiasha. Sexy Romulan. He had rabbit teeth, though. I, I know, but they <laughs> talked about how he's how attractive. I didn't know Romulans could be attractive. I'm like, all right. <laughs> In the meantime, he's already like, what's up, Doc? Oh. <laughs> what's up, Mindfitter? <laughs> I knew it. What? <laughs> Sorry. I, I apologize for Droll on that one. So, trivia on this one. In the season premiere, Dr. Agnes references a cyberneticist named Bruce Maddox. She's referring to the former Starfleet Commander Maddox who appeared in the TNG episode Measure of a Man that we talked about in the first half. Except this time the actor was played by Brian Brophy. Picard's dog, number one, is played by a rescue pit bull named De Niro. Patrick Stewart insisted that Picard have a dog of that breed as he and his wife volunteer with a pit bull rescue organization. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Patrick Stewart also cites his previous film, Logan, from 2017 as an influence on the show, pointing out that in both, they feature the characters that are still the same, but the world has changed around them and they're adjusting to these changes. Sir Stewart admits that Logan encouraged him to attempt something different with this role. And this series ties into Star Trek 29, 2009, and mentions the destruction of the planet Romulus, which caused Spock and Nero's crew to be sent back in time and creates an alternate timeline for Kirk's crew. And Josh had mentioned this earlier, however, this series does not follow the alternate timeline established in that film, known as the Kelvin timeline, and instead remains in the prime timeline, which has all their Star Trek shows have been set in. But like Doctor Who, it ties together all the loose ends to make it all canon, which is cool. So first viewing on all this for for all of us. I saw it last year. (laughs) Uh, and I think that you're starting to get like the people who are very vociferous about their distaste for Picard. There's three places it comes from. And one is people who really hate the Kelvin timeline stuff and kind of wish that Picard as a show just pretended it didn't exist. And then you have the people that think Star Trek must equal utopian fantasy. And this really is like, well, what if it's not always a utopia? Or what if this utopia has its 9-11 moment and f- descends into fear and paranoia and starts to rot from within? Even if it's not the, the utopia that they want or that they think that Roddenberry wanted, there's so many themes still going on here that are, again, I keep referring back to that you know kind of Roddenberry-esque thing. But they're still here. They're just done in, in a different way. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I mean... Even when people are struggling with their fear and their demons and their regrets, they know what they want. They still aspire to that utopian future where everyone treats people like people. Like it, it, To me, this feels like Trek with a fresh new direction. It's not just 
okay, now we're, uh, let's hit the slot machine on the cast. This time the Vulcan is the security officer. And this time the sexy person is, I don't know, a a Ferengi. Ooh, I would watch that. (laughs) And, but the utopia doesn't change and they basically do the same thing. This, you're dealing with themes of regret and fear and corruption. And I loved it. You know what this really reminded me of a lot? It's like, it reminded me a lot of the Mandalorian just because it, it took something that you're familiar with. And like you said, it took a fresh take on it, but it was still what you know and love as the original series. It reminded me of the next generation. That's what it reminded me of. <laughs> what part? Well, the part where everybody from the next generation started showing up. Yeah. It was the part where all the, all the crew members were seen in every episode. That's what that really reminded me of it. I think you were watching next gen. He might have just been. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept watching. Yeah. Next gen. <laughs> In the meantime, the streaming service is like, dude, you still watching? You still watching? All right, we'll just keep going. He's like, there's Picard. It's like Marina Sirtis doesn't age. <laughs> <laughs> How come no one has gray? Crazy. But yeah, so the overarching plot line on this one is that Picard living on his family winery right now. Uh, is visited by Dodge, the android, who has recently been, what are they called, activated? Yeah. By Romulan assassins that just teleport into her room, kill her boyfriend, and she goes all ninja on them. Right, and Picard is almost not so much living as, like, he's lost everything he's believed in. He's just waiting to die with his regrets. Mm Mm-hmm. Which and, is really sad, but like you still see a little of that fire in him, but it it has nowhere to go. Well, and you see that in the in the interview, yeah, when they kind of yeah. blindside him with the questions about his uh, him leaving Starfleet and what happened with the Romulans. You see that fire come back at him about him wanting to have done something good, wanting to have helped somebody, just like uh, in the Next Generation, where he's helping people who should be his enemies. Because they are people and getting turned away by Starfleet and yeah. having everything of uh, being a Starfleet man for that long and then having them just basically dismiss you had to have been heartbreaking for him. Well, and I love how they tease out that aspect of his character arc, like uh, the whole story of why and how he left Starfleet. You think you've got most of it by the end of the interview, but you get a couple episodes later with the flashback with Rafi and you realize you didn't quite have the whole story yet. And Mm -hmm. there's the whole thing about, you know, you can take the man out of the Federation, but you can't take the Federation out of the man, which you kind of revisit that theme with uh, Rios. Well, and Rafi, just as I guess, just as much. Yeah, I didn't find the characters dealing with their past trauma to necessarily take this into such a bleak direction that it didn't feel like Star Trek anymore. Uh, On the uh, contrary, you see familiar characters in a new light and see, we've seen how they deal with being at the top of their career and galaxy-spanning threats week after week. I mean, let's see what happens when life doesn't turn out the way they thought it would. I mean, obviously, if we're going to be following not not just a starship, but like one of the flagships of the entire thing, you're going to have the cream of the crop. And obviously, those people are going to have pretty good lives. They're going to do all right. They're going to make the right decisions. That's how they got to where they are. What is the rest of the universe like for the people that didn't make the right decisions or got screwed or, or you know, 
we're mis- misfortunate in one way or another. It's like not everybody is flying around on a five-star flagship. Well, and it's interesting to see characters that you've watched their career, you know, that, like you said, that that week by week, okay, what's the next threat? And then all of a sudden they get to the point where, you know, it's time to retire. So what are you going to do? You're going to go to a, a planet that's plentiful and you're going to make pizzas or you're going to, you know, <laughs> make a decision that's right, but that is suddenly, you know, caused you to be drummed out of the fleet, essentially. I mean, he left of his own accord, but, you know, and, and it's kind of interesting to see that side of things. Well, and that's kind of reinforced right at the beginning where something very unexpected happens. The girl comes to Picard to be saved and you think, you know, what the show's about. And then she dies right and away. Does he, she ever? She, yeah, she dies hard right in front of him. He can't save her. And that was the moment where I was like, I am in. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. I thought I knew what the show was going to be. I was wrong. I'm in. Yeah, that was the point where I went from being, oh, he's going to help you. Let's get let's get her home. You know, you kind of by that point before that scene, I was it's Star Trek. You know, he's going to yeah. save her. But then she melts and explodes. Yeah. As soon as that acid or whatever hit her face and she started burning up, I was like, oh, this is how she's going to find out she's an android. She's going to like start healing up and everything. And then suddenly she just turned into goo. And I was like, oh, oh, my. Yeah. Well, and I got to give CBS a lot of fucking credit because number one it felt very different because they're dropping F bombs and whatnot. And the, they, they must've dumped a lot of money to this. Cause this is a very pretty looking show. Oh yeah. And some of the stuff they do in there, like the scene where what's her name? I, I can't think of her name. The, the woman who's, who's harvesting former Borg for parts when she's taken that guy apart, seven of nines. Oh, son, the son, uh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling that eyeball out. I was like, this is borderline hostile territory. I'm like, holy shit, this is hard. This is a pretty hardcore for Star Trek. I was impressed. I was thoroughly impressed. Not not just because it was bloody and whatnot, but just that they were willing to make it gritty, you know, that they yeah, were willing yeah. to kind of get. And that was dirt. always kind of like Star Trek's fallback. Oh, we can go see it. You know, you have small kids. You go see a Star Trek movie. You don't have to worry about it. Look, it's got whales. It's not going to get too scary. Now, you know, you got somebody getting their eyeball pulled out with a uh, with a screwdriver. You know, on on this show, it's I like them getting a little bit more, I don't know, which expansish, maybe. Well, it's like the the original is very clean. Yes, it's very clean. And, and, and I don't mean in a kind of child friendly kind of way, but it's just everything is very clean and pristine. And here it's kind of like, you know, Josh always refers to like the Marvel Netflix shows as being, you know, street, the street level heroes. It's that same kind of thing. This is kind of the street level track. I I will say since we're getting into the Borg and this is going to tie into something I'm going to be revisiting later, the Borg as like their function in the narrative is sometimes a little squicky because their whole purpose seems to be getting ripped apart, shot and otherwise brutalized and tortured. And most of the missteps for me in Picard, like I love the show, but it's not perfect. And most of the problems I have with it directly go into the Borg or XBs. So, but we'll get back there. And then you have French pimp Picard. (laughs) Dude, I love those costumes. Those costumes are fantastic. 
And how about that reveal when Seven shows up, especially if you weren't expecting it? Like, I knew Jerry Ryan was cast, but, like, it's it's an exciting moment. It, yeah, I, that, I didn't pay attention to the casting, so when she showed up, I was like, ah, it was fun. Yeah, I saw that on the, I saw that on the texts on our, on yeah. our on chat. Seven of nine, and then Hugh shows up, too. I was not expecting a Jerry Ryan sighting. Well, and I wondered who was going to come back, because I had, I had seen a clip at some point when the show first started where Brent Spiner had talked about, you know, it's like, I'm never going to come back and play data again. And I was like, Oh shit. You know, I was like, well, maybe he'll show up in the show. I'm like, Oh, well, I guess he won't. And so I didn't do any other deep dive into it. So when all these people started popping up, especially when we, I went back and watched the measure of a man and then they mentioned Bruce Maddox in the first episode. I'm like, Oh shit, who else is going to show up? You know? Yeah. It was nice. I mean, they didn't overdo it. Yeah, and uh, I think two, my the two episodes that I really enjoyed was one was the introduction of um, Nerek, the single male living with the female warrior nuns. Oh yeah, the uh, the Romulan uh, samurai, as I kept calling him. Yeah, Ner- Nerek was the brother. That you, yeah, you're, you're, you're thinking of Elcor. El Elnor. Yeah. Elnor. I'm El- sorry, Elnor. Yeah, yeah Elnor. I. I love the introduction to him. I love how before he starts the fight, he says, please choose to live. Like, I'm going to kill you. I'm giving you a choice right now. This is your choice. And then he cuts that guy's head off. That's a badass smack talk. Yeah. Yeah. Even if sometimes he does feel like somebody's Star Trek RPG character. Yeah. Like, who are you? (laughs) I'm the Romulan ninja. I always give my enemies a chance to live before they die. It's like, okay, dude. Well, he's got the skills to back it up. And he does with the whole way that that order. The, the reason that the title of the show is absolute candor is because they speak with no restraint. If they're speaking what they're feeling, his character, you know, was pretty damn good going through this. When he meets up with, with Hugh and he finally breaks free from, uh, from Picard. He's like, Oh, well you left Picard. Why did you, why did you break your, you know, your agreement with him? Why did you snap away from him? Well, I found another, another cause that was even more hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. (laughs) And it's interesting because that character, although he is a badass Romulan ninja, he's still a kid. I mean, essentially he's kind of naive. He's not really done much outside of on the planet. And mm-hmm. so, you know, this is a whole new world to him. And and you kind of get to see him kind of grow. Not a lot, but you get to see him kind of grow and change. And, and not, nothing really shows what a kid he is either by his his breakdown in the final episode. It, it just brings it all home. Like, oh, yeah, this is a, this is a kid. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's a really good tie into talking uh, about Rafi, because that scene completes both their arcs. Like she followed Picard and followed her own instincts about being right down this rabbit hole to the point where she lost her own family, lost points of herself, and she doesn't get her kid back and she doesn't break her addictions. But in the last scene, she's got a crying child who needs her and comforting him being there for him is what she needs as well. And I wondered when she went to go meet her son if that was going to come back around, you know, and they were going to save the day. And I was like, okay, you know, it's Star Trek. He's going to come back and be like, I'm sorry, mom. I'm happy. We're, you know, a family together again. And it didn't happen. New. Nope. And the, the scene with Elnor and, and her was that moment. And it was, it was nice to not see it kind of go into that kind of typical trope. She's a very tragic character. 
Yeah, she builds herself back up piece by piece, especially when she realizes that the mistake that cost her her life, she was never wrong in the first place. And you see she gets that confidence at starting puts, putting together the other mysteries. Kind of a reverse story arc of Agnes Gerardi, who uh, is very timid and she's got this thing and she ends up falling into the Romulan conspiracy so much she ends up committing murder and betrayal and has to, like, break herself out of all that. And don't worry about it. Nobody's ever going to hold her feet to the fire for that. <laughs> yeah, they, all just, they all just eventually decide, eh, we don't need to take you into jail. You, you killed just... your mentor and lover and... <laughs> Like murder, in cold blood. murder. Yeah, in cold blood, he was he, he was not gonna die at all, and you just cut off all his medical supplies and just said, "Yeah, go ahead and die." And everybody was like, "Well, oh yeah, right. uh, oh man, we were gonna drop you off, weren't we?" Well, yeah, but then, it's, all, it's all the way over there, and we're here now. Yeah, we'd have to turn around. And you said you're sorry. I mean, <laughs> that's not the most problematic part of the final shot, but we're not through the cast yet. <laughs> no, I did not like Agnes. So right at the outset, when she got the mind meld and everything, my she's a scientist. You know, she's supposed to be thinking with the scientific theory. Does the mind meld to her? This is what I see happening. If artificial, you know, the artificials are managed to continue to grow, and she never questions it. Well, to be fair, she saw the same vision that drove. All of the, uh, I forget the name of the, like, Dafnar. Oh, that, that weird table in the desert thing? Yeah, yeah, it drove all but one of them completely insane. So, And it, it was it was a message that was meant for artificial life, not humans. So it was not tailored for humans. And it was just like like getting a terabyte of information dump into a, into a, a brain that can only hold one gig. So, yeah, I'll give her a slight pass on that. Yeah. When it comes to Chris, at first, like, I liked his character, but I was afraid that aside from the fact that all of his holograms were him, he wasn't going to get any development. And then he's got that one episode where it's like all of his development catches up in one episode where we get yeah. his backstory. Yeah. When she, when the clone finally, or not the clone, when the android finally shows up and, and he and, flips and out. Breaks, breaks his brain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, by the end of it, I, I was like, okay, now that we know what Chris's whole deal is, I'm excited to see more of the character. Cool, cool captain, or I guess pilot, because let's face it, Picard's still really the captain. Yeah, he's he's still the captain. And let, let's take a moment and talk about those holograms. I liked them. Yeah, they were they were awesome. They were entertaining. They were expository when they needed to be. They did their job, and they never got really obnoxious. At least I never thought they got obnoxious. Oh, I agree. I mean, they, they were used just enough. Yeah. They added a little bit of humor here and there when it was necessary, but not in a her, her, her kind of way. You know, yeah. emergency holograms have always gotten a little silly. I mean, you can make an exception maybe for the doctor on Voyager, but even he had some scenes where his whole existence was like, yeah, no, let's, let's face it. This can be a little ridiculous sometimes. So I, I don't think it was out of character for any previous. Uh, we usually only see the EMH, but now we have the ENH and the EHH. What is the nature of your hospitality emergency? <laughs> One of the things uh, about this that I thought was kind of cool, and I I don't know if I've ever seen it quite on this scale, was the standoff in the last episode where the Romulans are about ready to destroy the planet. Picard's there 
and they do the hologram thing, and then it seems like all is lost, and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, you knew the Federation was going to show up, but when they show up and there's you know 400 ships and above this planet that are about to unload on each other, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, you a little bit gloss over the fact that they get out of that scene when Gerardi pulls out a literal plot device. Mm-hmm. I mean, that MacGuffin was a little bit of uh, writers didn't know how to get themselves out of the situation. So they have a piece of magic. <laughs> That's that whole scene with that, with with the magic finger hole worm thing was just like, oh, they, I could see the writers are on the table. Well, crap. Now what? And <laughs> one guy in the corner goes, have any of you seen Doctor Who? <laughs> right. How about we just give him a sonic screwdriver? Yeah. It'll be fine. No one will notice. It's good. It was still cool, though. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to pick a little bit on the finale because uh, it, it didn't ruin the series for me. But uh, th- there are some issues. But we're not there yet. We've still got uh, Soji to talk about. Soji manipulated by everyone. Especially Narek. I mean, I thought he was a pretty cool villain just because he's sympathetic when he needs to be. But he also is like, in some ways, just as bad as his twin sister. And when he says you're not real and shatters her world and then tries to kill her after making him believe that he loved her, like it just sets her up for the rest of the show. And you're really not sure what his motivations are up to that point. Like, is he going to betray himself and betray his mission? Nope. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, he's going to stick with it. And actually, with with her, uh, when she gets back to her room and she's got that scanner and starts doing, like, the carbon dating and everything in her room. And they're like, three years old, three years old, three years old. It's a picture from your childhood. Three years old. And she's, you, you can see she was actually... Isa Broins did the character really well. She, she could see the expression, see her acting out in the way of someone's entire life falling apart before, right in front of their eyes. As they scan more and more things and discover that she may not, she may be only three years old. Yeah. yeah. Her journey from who she isn't to who she is, is well played and well written. I think. Hmm. Yeah, it's not just an anomaly on one object. It's everything. And just imagine how much that would blow your mind just to find out like everything that you thought you knew about yourself has all just been implanted and you're only three years old. And That would be almost kind of relieving because <laughs> I'd be like, shit, all those times in my life where I totally fucked up. That was just programming. That would mean all of us are fake, Mike. Like I said, win-win. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little fake. Yeah. Leap Lorp, I'm fake. I wish I was fake. No, I'm all too I'm all too real. Because it uh ties into her development too, we should probably do a little bit of a talk about Pizza Chef Riker, Deanna, uh their kid and their own tragedy with it is l- looped back into the whole main plot when the synthetics are banned because of their role in the attack on Mars, or so everyone thinks. Uh because of that, their son had a curable illness and he died from it. So we we get to they meet on the artifact, which is a Borg cube controlled by Romulans, and they escape with the help of Hugh, the Borg from the original series who Picard taught how to be an individual. And they come to this planet where Deanna and uh, Will and their daughter live. 
in a sweet cabin with all the defenses in the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, ah, I just got out here to this planet in the middle of nowhere so I can sit and relax. Not that much. <laughs> it's a little log cabin with all of Rick Sanchez's defenses. Right. <laughs> uh, and Will and Deanna's daughter, did she remind you of anybody? Reminded me of one of my kids. Uh, yes. Katie, yeah. Hundred percent. Yep, I, I saw that too. I, I was there from the opening minute, and when she was sketching Soji, I was like, "Yeah, hundred hundred percent." So I was just making sure that wasn't just me. No, I I saw that, and I was just like, I mean, especially the way she acts and the and her an, an amazing ability to ask the most blatant questions. Yep. You know, so you're gonna but, cook us pizza in your stone fire oven the next time we're there? Oh, I would love to have a stone fire oven. Yeah. I'd love to have pizza. <laughs> I'd love to command a starship. Make it so. <laughs> Riker, Riker and Deanna looked all right. They looked happy. Is, is was an important yeah. thing. And uh, Troy's role, her experience as a counselor, and her ability to read emotions was sort of uneven on Trek. Like writers didn't always know what to do with it. Sometimes it was like, I sense he's angry. Well, yeah, sh- he's screaming. We got it. <laughs> but it was relevant in her scenes. You, was, it, was it the yelling that was cluing you in? <laughs> Suzanne made a comment. In, believe it or not, my my Susie is a huge Trek fan. And when she was growing up, Star Trek wasn't something that was watched in the house. They didn't really dig it. So she would wait for her dad to fall asleep watching sports on the chair at night, turn the volume down little by little until it was zero, change the channel to Star Trek, and then turn the volume up real slow. And then her dad would wake up and be like, oh, is the game over? And she's like, oh, who lost? Oh, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention, Dad. And then he would go to bed and she'd watch Star Trek. <laughs> so she... subterfuge there. I know, right? Seriously. One of the comments she made about Deanna Troy is you can always tell how intelligent of conversation, how intelligent of lines Deanna Troy is going to have in this scene, in this uh, episode, by how uh, high her collar is. Oh, yeah. That that was a big thing where uh, for a long time she was pushing back against the revealing uniforms and all the cleavage. And it took an episode where she had to be placed in a command uniform for the writers to go, you know what? That looks pretty good. Let's just let's just do that. We probably should have been doing that all, all along. Mm. In fact, when uh, she came in, when I was watching. What was that last the last uh, episode with Data, the Borg and Lore and. <laughs> She comes to the living room. She's like, oh, she's got a high collar. Has she said anything really smart yet? And I'm like, I, maybe. (laughs) What do you you mean? But no, then she sat down and then just sorbed her head. She's a huge Trek fan. So so is my mother, actually. Really? Yeah. My mom and dad used to watch The uh, the Next Generation all the time. They they caught it every week. They're both, they were both, you know big fans my dad was always a sci-fi guy but this was the, like the only sci-fi show my mom was into partly driven by the fact that she has a huge crush on john luke picard so does not, my mom not patrick stewart jean luke picard oh no my mom just loves patrick stewart she's a huge trekkie she could take her leave yeah. patrick stewart she likes him and everything but she's yeah her crush is on picard himself now see that's weird because my mom she had a crush on the guy with the feathers on his head from the uh, Buck Rogers uh, TV show. <laughs> Eagle Man? Eagle Man, whatever the hell his name was. <laughs> I've got something, something for you. you. Not that Eagle Man. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so we kind of talked about most of the cast of Misfits. 
but we haven't quite got around to seven of nine. And uh, I was loving seeing Jerry Ryan again, just like knowing everything she's been through since the series and knowing that she didn't necessarily want to come back to Trek, but really just getting to work with Patrick Stewart. And her first appearance episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, I saw that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that uh, brought her back. And she's had a, a tough tough series of years in the interim and uh, she found a new identity for seven in like what she's like in this world. And I, I was really impressed with it. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. It was a, it was a nice swan song for the character too. Oh, it's not over. I will say, well, that's true. I, I kind of just meant like the series I get, but maybe she's not done anyway. I didn't care for the scene where she goes and plugs into the, the Borg cube, and then immediately every Borg just disappears. I'm like, well, that was a build-up to nothing. <laughs> I mean, I get I get like the, the, the gravitas of like, you know, she's like, oh, I just lost all my children kind of thing. But it was just like, like what was the point? Why couldn't you just suck them all out before before she activated them and then avoid the whole problem of, you know, whether I, she's even in? You know. I'm with you on this, because when she hooked up to it and her eyes turned black, and I was yeah. like, oh, we're going to see some good I was like, yeah, the shit, yeah, the shit's yeah. gonna hit the fan. We're let's, gonna have a big go. moment where where she's got to decide if she's gonna take the, you know, like is she uh, gonna let go? Is she not yeah, gonna she, let go? Romulan Borg battle and poof. And then, oh no, we're just done. They're they're all gone. Well, it's kind of a like, do you let Thor participate in civil war? If you do, whichever side he's in wins. So they kind of had to like get rid of most of her Borg. Otherwise, she just walks in and the series is pretty much over and I, I get okay maybe most of them maybe 75 65 80 percent some percentage not a hundred percent of them well and that's what happened there were a lot of xbs left yeah that, which i'm gonna use to oh, i'm i keep building to a point which we're not ready to talk about <laughs> which is the last episode all right who's next well i, I mean i think that's all the major people uh so. you're talking about Narek. We talked a little bit about Narek. Uh, we yeah. didn't talk quite so much about his psycho sister. I mean, she's a traditional Romulan. Betray everybody, slice them in the face. But he's a little more subtle, and they're both fucked up in their own way. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's like the enforcer, and he's like the... The thinker. He's more of a surgical scalpel. Yeah, he's like... She's a hammer. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, and they're, they're, they have a very close, almost ancestral relationship... It's just very weird, and if you got a very weird vibe from the the two of them a couple times. It, it is a little weird that even though they were posing as Vulcans, the two Romulans got that high in Starfleet, right? Considering I, I vaguely remember uh, in other episodes, like there was a big deal made of someone who's a quarter Romulan being in Starfleet at all, and they were like an ensign. So it was kind of weird that uh, you're you're not going to like, hey, let's let's make sure two of our highest people in Star Trek who could uh, in Starfleet who could do a lot of damage to the organization. Let's just test them to see if they're actually Romulan agents. And also, you know, not, not only a Romulan, but also the member of the secret society of Romulans. It's like the worst of the worst. Well, and she was a member of a double secret society. Of yeah, it's like, it's like nobody vetted this woman ever. <laughs> she just said, live long and prosper. I'm a Vulcan. And everyone's like, Oh, okay, cool. Hey, hey, she's a phaser. She here's learned the keys. how to do the touch here's, thing, too, with the Here's head. the keys to the flex ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just whatever. 
All right, I think we need to let Josh go on that last season, last episode. Okay, well let's let, let's work our way towards it because we do get the nice reveal that the synthetics are not necessarily all happy, happy, joy, joy. Because uh, Soji comes to terms with who she is, they bring her back to her home planet, and then it's revealed that the whole message the whole time that drove the Romulans insane to wipe out all synthetic life was not meant for them in the first place. It was a, hey, give us a call. We'll kill all the humans for you. By the way, this is totally not Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) You get the heel turn from some of the synthetics, and we get to see Dr. Noonien Soon's son, who is in a way Data's brother, And you get a little bit more of the how the synthetics came to be angle from him since Bruce Maddox showed up and was promptly murdered by Eleanor. Like, couldn't do much with him. I I am pretty happy. Like, I know a lot of people were into this series until they got to the last episode and were like, it was so bad it ruined it for me. I'm not quite that extreme. Uh, I am totally okay with the fake out Picard death. And him being put into a synthetic body because it's if you don't do that, you don't get Data's cool ending where Data mm-hmm. wants to be mortal and Picard needs to be dead to have that conversation with him. And he needs to come back in order to respect his wishes. We're good. And and they kind of, they, they kind of foreshadowed it with, you know, kept talking about the golem all, all the time. And you're like, well, somebody's going to get put into that. <laughs> I'm a little confused that Narek is such a big deal until he's taken away near the end, and then we just don't know what happens to him at all. But that's fine. Okay. Little like they more- couldn't decide if they wanted to kill him or not, basically. Yeah, a little more confused that the Romulans have been planning this plot and infiltrating the Star- Starfleet for decades and have had this moment on their calendar for hundreds of years. And when the whole, everything's resolved and the bad synthetics don't show up, they're just like, oh, well, I guess that's that then, and just leave. That was okay, but it's Trek. We need to yeah. allow Picard to solve everything with a speech. I'm fine with that. What I am not fine with, however, is that we make a huge deal for both Seven and Elnor of how Hugh sacrificed himself for the XBs. In fact, Hugh stayed behind instead of just going through the portal so he could protect the XBs. But at the end of the show, they just fucking left them on the cube in the planet. Both of them got on the ship with Picard and just left them in the box, completely forgetting about them, completely ignoring Hugh's sacrifice. I completely forgot about that. That's a pretty big issue. Well, maybe it'll be revisited in season two. I, I mean, I hope so, but like, I cannot come up with a reason why Seven and Elnor are in that last scene. It's just weird. It's almost like the final scene. They're like, okay, we want a really badass shot of all the characters on the bridge to get people hyped for season two. We're going to work in a completely out of nowhere romance uh, between Seven and uh, Rafi. And Rafi. Okay, whatever, but like Seven and Elnor shouldn't have been on the ship to begin with. They should have been helping the remaining XBs in the cube. Hmm. So that that was like a lone blemish on a series I otherwise loved, where I was like, you know, this this last episode, if it wasn't for the absolutely beautiful moments with Brent Spiner as Data, 
I would have hated the final episode. And it would have made a lot more sense for her to stay on the Borg cube after she had plugged into it and had, you know, pretty much been assimilated into their consciousness and her into theirs. She's their queen mother pretty much at that point. And then she just was like, later. Right. <laughs> later. Well, Chick I-, I just met is on the ship with Picard. Peace. <laughs> well, and I wasn't sure if this was going to be a limited series or whether it was going to be, you know, potentially a ongoing thing. So when Picard died, I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Well, it looks like it's going to be a limited series. What upset me when he died, I was like, really? No one from his original crew is going to be there when he dies? It's going to be all the new people? Yeah. But they brought him back, so I wasn't that upset anymore. I did like the little insertion of, did you make me immortal? No, we didn't. That's the first thing that popped in my head is when they they were talking about everything that they they just immediately knocked that out of the out of the standing. Yeah. No, we've been paying attention. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're like, no, you're just the same, except you don't have any health issues anymore. Yeah. For now. Uh, you got another 10, 20 years in you. Yeah. Although, who knows how long he, his natural life could be? Because if you guys remember the very first Next Generation episode, McCoy was on Encounter at Farpoint. So he lived to at least like 140 years old. Mm-hmm. So Picard could still have another forty years. Scotty was one hundred thirty-seven, isn't that what uh, Data said? He was. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 And remember, I'm not sure if, if it was a hologram, rep, but Scotty was on uh, an episode of TNG also. Well, he he didn't. That wasn't natural life. He was like was frozen not- or something. Oh, okay. It, it was really him, but they like pulled him out of the ice. Okay. But it's it sets up an interesting premise for another season now. You know, this essentially, in a lot of ways, was a 10-hour movie because it's got one storyline that's taking you throughout the 10 episodes. It's not like Next Gen where, like you said, you could watch individual episodes and be fine. There might be a two-parter here or there, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a, a continuous. I mean, there there may have been an underlying thing that was going on, but it wasn't the, the you you don't have to watch all of them. Yeah, you, if you miss one, you're not going to be like, it's not like missing a drama. Well, yeah, it's like missing a drama. It's You, you have that whole connection versus, because you can just drop in TNG anywhere. You can hit random and get an episode and you'd be fine with it. Yeah, and, and this was, you know, one one storyline, one thing that had little bar, little bits and pieces that were sprinkled throughout it. But for the most part, it was one continuous thing. And so I'm curious where they're going to go with it because they definitely set it up for he's got this kind of ragtag motley crew of a ship now and they're off to another adventure together with all their different skill sets. So, you know, I'm kind of excited to see where it goes and I'm curious if it can maintain what it did in this first first season. It's going to take Agnes Girardi to prison. That's where it's going. I mean, I'm sure that'll be revisited. I mean, they've no, all she, got she was my least out. favorite character out of all of them. Uh, same here. After they got off the cube, and they're like, oh, "Oh, how are they figuring out where we are?" I'm like, "Listen, you're gonna figure it out. This one just needs to be jettisoned out of an airlock." I thought that's what she was gonna do. I really thought she was gonna jettison herself. Yeah, yeah. I thought she was gonna teleport herself out into space because they taught her how because they taught her how to use the teleporter. Right. I 
I did like the scene between her and Chris where she uh, is desperate to feel anything besides pain. And she's like, she throws herself at him and says, I, I have this superpower of knowing I'm making a mistake in the middle of making it. I, I appreciated that. It was probably my favorite Agnes moment. Okay, I guess not. Yeah. Fuck Agnes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just trying to think of any other moment that I liked yeah. about her. So, yeah, I mean, I guess by default that would be my favorite moment. Uh, well, I mean, her and Rafi together where she's coping with everything by eating cake. That was pretty okay. Yeah, is she bleeding? No, it's red velvet. No, that that was pretty funny. Okay. Uh, but I don't know. I it Just after she killed him, it was... I, I had... Initially, I thought she was going to be the I'm I'm the uh, bright eyed, bushy tailed adventurer that's going to come along with you and I'm going to learn things along the way and occasionally pull off something badass. Oop, nope, I'm killing my mentor and lover. Well, and I, I appreciated her arc, even though I didn't like her as a person. And you do get a little bit of that bright eyed, bushy tailed back the first time she finally meets Soji. And she's like, this is like the uh, end of my career path. This is what I've worked all my life to see. And then Soji's like, do you even see me as a person? That was a really good scene. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't think Allison Pill did a bad job, and I appreciate uh, Agnes' role in the story, even if I don't like her, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, the character is just not, there's not a lot to her, really. It's just, I don't know, she seems like a like a plot device more than a character. I don't know. I'm curious to see where she goes. I, I didn't have any real issues with any of the characters overall. Um, I guess I, I kind of got lost in the story, and... So, yeah, I, I didn't have any major problems with it overall. Maybe a little bit with Picard being dropped into a, a synthetic, but eh, like I said, we needed it in order to have the, the data moment. I think my biggest complaint about the entire run of the series was that the intro was very boring. Yeah, the music in this one just was not as enthralling as uh, TNG. Huh. I don't have a problem with the intro, but like, I get it. Well, they're trying to, to to ever since they you know the everybody freaked out about Enterprise when they had a new intro and they're like, oh my god, what are you doing? I mean, it's it's a different series. This isn't this isn't standard Star Trek. This is well, yeah, like, but they could make it not boring. I mean, I don't care yeah. if it's different; it can just be good. Oh, it was hey. just a very boring song and very boring graphics, and eh, nah. I didn't have a problem with it. Well, you're kind of. I didn't have a problem with it. I just thought it was boring. Why you gotta have That's such a, a problem? problem yeah, Pat. I'm talking to you. Yeah, Pat. <laughs> Dingle. So, are we to a thumbs up, thumbs down point or not? Uh, yeah, I, I think, think so. we are. So, Josh, thumbs down on both. <laughs> Yeah, I, I am a, a big thumbs up on both, despite the fact that I, I uh, threw some pretty serious punches at the finale of Picard. Uh, I am all in, even though, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to be watching it alone. Sarah was one of the ones that was like, I hated the finale so much, I will not be watching season two. Wow. Yikes. <laughs> so, yeah, but I'm, I'm a big thumbs up for both. Uh, from my trek to more of my trek. I also uh, thumbs up on both. Not really a surprise. Yep. I, I mean, next generation, uh, thumbs up. I mean, that that a big part of my childhood. And uh, Picard made me fall in love with it all over again, but in a different way. Like, it's a different kind of show and, and absolutely big thumbs up. 
yeah, thumbs up, thumbs up for me. I'm definitely going to watch in season two of Picard. And TNG's, like I said, just one of those. You could throw it on, put it in the background. You love the characters. You know the characters. And good sci-fi. So, yeah, if you have your thoughts about, like, let us know what your Trek is. Or if uh, you have your thoughts. Maybe you have some justification for the abandoning of the XBs in the cube at the end of Picard. Let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for some of our older stuff, uh, like I said, uh, Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Blueberry Stitcher, all over the place. Joel, what do we have in line for next week? Well, we're we're taking on a, a little bit of a spy cartoon animal. Danger! <laughs> was that a kitten mittens commercial there? <laughs> it was. That's what I was going been, for. Yeah. Good job. Uh, no, we are actually going to, this may be, I, I mean, I'm the only person that I think has seen this. I, I have I not may have seen an episode as a kid, but it never spoke to me like it did it to you apparently. So yeah, this is going to yeah. be a new thing for, yeah, we are watching danger mouse, uh, the, uh, original British cartoon. And then there's a remake that just came out just a few years ago. That's on, uh, <laughs> we're discovering all this stuff on CBS all access. Yeah, we're going to talk about Spy Mice. Get it while it's free. Yeah. I may actually be signing up for it if if it means being able to watch Picard Season 2 when the time comes. It's almost as though that's what they intended. I think so. They're like, Mandalorian did it for Disney. Oh, no, Disney did it for themselves. But First, it's always free. Mm. That was a drug reference. Got any more of that Picard? <laughs> uh, I'll suck your dick for Picard. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Can we go back to talking about Hitler? <laughs> I'll suck Hitler's dick for Picard. <laughs> What's that, my Hitler? Yikes. I don't like where this is going at all. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for sticking around. And uh, we'll be back next week. Oh, he's gone again, <laughs> fucker. Damn it, Joel. I keep telling you not to move. How do you and Mike both have headphones with 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 a short in the mic? I don't I'm not I'm doing all right at this. Yeah, yeah, you're doing okay right now. I didn't move. I didn't move. Try moving again. Yeah. Well, then definitely move a lot. Obviously you don't. <laughs> How long you been podcasting? Shut up. I'm a professional. Since right after he bought that microphone. Yeah. <laughs> no, I used to... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you really, yeah, th- this is not, not acceptable. <laughs> He's been podcasting with me for years. <laughs> We have background Joel now. I don't know what's going on. I don't. I well, yeah, we know that. And I don't know how to fix it. So I keep doing stuff, and you're like, "Okay, it's good." And you're like, "No, it's not good." And I don't know what what what. Um, yeah. Shut up.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.